Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul Learning Series. It is really lovely to have Rabbi Shapiro and Rabbi Dorf with us this morning to be able to continue this conversation. For those of you who are with us from the beginning, Rabbi Dorf kind of kicked things off. Rabbi Shapiro continued the conversation for the past two weeks, and now they're coming together to bring their different pieces that they've worked on together, but also explored with the community um, for us kind of as a culmination as this Elul series finishes up. And I will let Rabbi Shapiro talk more about this um, at the end of the class or during, I'm sure. But part of the reason that we <clears throat> that we had this series going uh, with the theme of rebuilding our home was not only because Rabbi Shapiro came up with a theme, but because the idea of kicking things off that are going to be important to our community throughout the year was something that we that we were really invested in uh, kind of getting out there, letting you know what it is that we as a clergy, we as a community, we as the leaders of Betham are interested in seeing as a trajectory, both programmatically, but also educationally for our for our community through the Jewish lens of of the year that we will hopefully live together and lead together um, before next Rosh Hashanah. So I will let Rabbi Shapiro talk a little bit more about how this is going to play into the broader strokes of spiritual and mental health uh, for our Temple Bethlehem community. And it's always a pleasure to learn with Rabbi Dorf, and I'm sure that he will be part of many of those pieces along the way as well. So without any further ado, I will turn it over to both of you. Thank you, Rabbi Schatz. Um, Rabbi Dorf, it's, if it's okay with you, I'll just sort of like more specifically bridge from, from what I've been trying to guide us through over the past two weeks into what we'll be doing today. Um, so after Rabbi Dorf, um, led off with a conversation about Judaism and mental health, um, the, these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, um, Judaism and, and spiritual health, right? Judaism and spiritual growth. Um, and, moving through these past two weeks talked about different frameworks for my, for what that might be. And then last week, really doing a dive into um, the meets vote as a framework for spiritual growth with that really lovely piece from Rabbi Jonathan Slater from Institute for Jewish spirituality, um, talking about how each of the meets vote offer an opportunity for sort of that inner um, reflective work, as well as an outward manifestation of behavior and how those two pieces can, can really be, be integrated. Um, and, and speaking of integration, now that we're moving into our last session, um, Rabbi Dorf and I thought it would be nice to um, make explicit the connection um, between mental health and spiritual health. And before we get into sort of today's um, exercise, as it were, um, I'll just once again, hold up the framework that, first of all, different aspects of health are integrated, right? Mental health and spiritual health and physical health. Those, those all um, are intertwined, right? It's not so easy to separate those pieces out. If you are not feeling physically well, it's going to impact your mental health. If you are struggling with something that is, is like a mental illness, it's going to impact your sense of spiritual connection, right? Those pieces are all intertwined. Um, so that's piece one. And piece two is this sense of uh, health as a spectrum. That it's not that either you are completely mentally healthy or completely mentally unhealthy. There are, there are people, right, who are very in very dire straits with their mental health 
or who are in, in really outstanding mental health these days, um, I would I would love to meet some of those people. Uh, I, that, that would probably be helpful for me. Um, but sp- spiritually as well, right? That this is really a spectrum. And most of us, most of the time, are probably somewhere in between and working towards greater mental health or, or greater spiritual health and, and trying to see how we can navigate that spectrum towards um, greater health and integration. So those are sort of the big picture points um, I want to frame this conversation with. Um, and our exercise today is we're going we're gonna to try to do a little bit more um, directly what I did last week. I said last week we were going to do some practical pieces and we got caught up in a wonderful conversation and of course had no time for the practical pieces. Um, but we're going to do a lot of practical conversations today. So uh, we've written up three different scenarios of folks who are struggling um, and we're going to explore them a little bit sort of in dialogue, all of us together. Um, Rabbi Dorf, before I, I sort of pull up the first one, any other words um, or framing or, or teaching you want to offer up by way, by way of introduction? Uh, no, I mean, I think um, what you just said is, is um, exactly what, what we need to hear. Um, just a reminder that, that the three scenarios that we're going to be talking about, are, are we have no intention that they be uh, absolutely um, you know, whatever any, it's, it's not completely, it's not a complete scenario of what people might face, right? We just pick three things that people might face, um, as illustrations of the kind of issues that, that arise when you talk about spiritual and mental health issues, um, and that sometimes manifest themselves as physical issues. Um, so, I mean, these are just examples. There, there's, there's no, uh, uh, there's no claim here that we're going to be uh, absolutely, um, what shall I say, conclusive about it all, right? In other words, right, and inclusive at all. These are just simply examples. Um, and if other examples come to mind, well, we can't talk about it or, you know, offshoots of these examples, you know, bring them up. Yeah, and, and I'll also give sort of the the law and order disclaimer, which is, you know, any any resemblance between, per, you know, the, the real real persons uh is, is completely coincidental this is uh, this is not a rip from the headline situation this was us trying to sort of come up with a range of scenarios that might encompass some of these issues but certainly not comprehensive um as rabbi dorf said and and what i'll invite folks to to reflect on as we share these is to, to recognize some aspect of yourself in these people, right? Because we're going to be asking you to think about what resources or tools or strategies might be helpful for the people, people that we're talking about. Um, and I'll invite you to reflect on if and when you've been in a similar situation, right? What has been helpful for you? Because my, my guess is that on some level, we can, we can each relate to a version of what, of what these folks are going through, um, so that, does that sound like a good enough segue, Rabbi Dorf? Does that seem? Okay. All right. So scenario number one. Here we go. That work? Internet's been a little laggy here. Can folks see that okay? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Bonnie was shaking her head. I trust. Yeah, Bonnie's, Bonnie's giving me a nod. Okay. I trust, I trust Bonnie. All right. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, okay. Judah is a 52-year-old longtime member of Beth Am. Historically, he's been quite involved in the synagogue, a frequent shulgoer on Shabbat, a committee member, former pressman parent, generous donor to the community. 
As the pandemic has worn on, however, he has been drifting away from the community. He no longer attends services either over Zoom or in person, and he hasn't attended any programs or meetings. Friends have reached out, but he has been slow to respond, if he responds at all. When he does respond, more than once he has been heard to question, if not outright to cry, the existence of God. How could that even be possible when COVID has killed so many innocent people? Figured we'd start on a really light note this morning, (laughs) is what we were thinking. Um, So if you are a friend, colleague, family member of Judah's, um, what, what resource, resources, excuse me, what resources might you suggest? What resources might you offer? If you were, if you were interacting with this person, what might you offer up to them? Yeah. Tybal. Um, I don't know that I'm going to suggest an exact resource, but I'm going to suggest a kind of resource because if this is a Jewishly involved human being, which he is, who's never in a certain visceral way confronted the Shoah, that says to me that he's someone who thinks in terms of the way his mind processes in a very concrete, practical way. Because the question of COVID killing, well, their Shoah, I mean, there are just too many analogies. So it seems to me that what he would mean is very practical and very, very incremental Um, as in May, why don't Judah, you and I take a walk for 10 minutes twice a week kind of thing. I'm not saying that that's it, but very incremental and very concrete. Um, I, I appreciate the articulation of your sense of who this person is and also the, the formulation of a concrete thing. By the way, going, going for walks with a friend, no matter how concrete you need to be, can also just be really helpful. Right. Get a little exercise, get a little connection for sure. Um, other thoughts, other reflections. Yeah, Karen. This is not a cure, but I'm, does he want to change his mood? Great question. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to explore that with him because anything one might suggest may not help if he's wanting to stay in his place. Mm-hmm. Uh, medication is also a possibility to just get out of the unmotivated depression of some sort. And then I will stop speaking now. We do have a clinician in the house. so. But I mean, it, it may not be just what he wants. It may be, maybe you want, you know, you, you know, you come to show and you want his company. You enjoy seeing him there. Right. So let's say, I don't know, uh, you're his friend and he's not there anymore and you're there, you're back. Um, and so maybe it's not just a question of what he wants. Maybe it's a question of what you want and to the extent to which you're willing to put that out there. Now, granted, you know, he's not, there's a certain degree here of individual autonomy and all of that. Right. Um, but he's also a member of a community. Right. And communities need to care for each other. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that people can try to do a lot for someone in this position. 
and it could go right in and out. You know, it depends also, I think, on, yes, I need help getting out of this hole. I want help. I want to be back in the community. Please help me. That's a different attitude than I don't, I'm not on Zoom. I'm not here. I'm not there. I'm not doing anything. Right. Not that I want to argue your position at all, Rabbi Dorn. I never would think to do okay, that. Okay, please. <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing I you. Understand. <laughs> I understand. No, well, there, all I'm trying to say is that they're certainly from you know, a psychological point of view, if you talk about psychology generally, you know, they're interested in a very individualistic encounter, right? The therapist with the individual and, you know, and, and there, there's some, there's clearly something to that. No question about it. Um, but the, a Jewish perspective is much more communitarian, right? We are parts of a family and parts of a community. And a lot of what, bothers us as a function of our family and community um, and the, the general uh, context in which we live. In this case, you know, not being able to be together for 14 months and who knows for how much longer and under what circumstances. Um, and even when you're together and wear masks, I mean, you know, a large part of the way we communicate with each other, it's not just by words, it's facial expressions and, and all of that, right? But you can't see that behind a mask. Right. And you can barely barely hear people behind a mask. So, I mean, it's um, all I'm trying to say is that there's also the communitarian piece of this. Joanna, Joanna, then I think I saw Michael and then Bonnie. Um, I find the question at the end that, you know, he's asking, you know, where he's challenging God, how could he do this? I mean, the fact is that. In the world in general, and in particular in Jewish history, there have been many moments where, you know, we have pondered the same question. And um, so, you know, I don't know how you gently like sort of offer him the ways around that, that, you know, and I wonder also if that's really what's going on or he's hiding behind that. So, but on the chance that there there's something really going on there where he's angry to God, you know, you, you confront that question and you say things to him like you can argue with God, talk to God and argue with him and, you know, express your frustrations. Um, I, I had a very profound conversation with someone. My father actually passed away on Rosh Chodesh and um, the first Rosh Chodesh that I came to after he passed away. I know, you know, there's a tradition that mourners don't um, lead halal, but I was in a minion that was reciting halal. And I said to someone, I, I was not in the mood for halal that day. There was no way I could be joyful. And the person reflected back to me, not all the verses of joyful, not all the verses of halal are joyful. Find yourself in 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 the voices that ex- in the verses that express despair and also said to me maybe don't say halal today talk to god about what you're feeling you know and so giving sort of that kind of outlet to people i think can be helpful um and the other thing i wanted to mention was um in my circle of friends there once was a friend who was going through a pretty severe depression and while we all wanted to be there for the friend it's draining and difficult when 
the person is not responsive. You, you know, when you offer something to a sick person who is, you know, then responds that they were so grateful that you brought the chicken soup or whatever, it's very different and it's hard to stay motivated. And what we did was we built a community amongst ourselves to continue to support that person. So in the case of like Judah, you know, do you band together a group of friends that, you know, commits to each other that we're committed to being there for our friend Judah. And amongst us, we're going to make sure that every Friday he gets a Shabbat treat from us so that, you know, whether it's flowers or a challah or whatever, that, you know, he knows we're thinking of us, uh, we're thinking of him. And, you know, what are other ideas along that line that while it may be difficult for an individual by him or herself to sustain supporting Judah. If a few friends came together and came up with some suggestions of how collectively they could support him and support each other. There's some beautiful stuff in there. And just kind of, I want to pull apart a few of those pieces. I'll start with the last thing you said, which is, you know, Joanna, I think, I think in some ways you, you are naming something that I think is connected to a little bit of what Karen was saying as well, which is that it can be tiring, if not outright frustrating, if not outright counterproductive to work harder at trying to help somebody if they don't really want to be helped and they're, and they're just really just staying stuck. To which Rabbi Dorf's point is also true, the need for community and the role that people impact each other. And I love how you're sort of like counterbalancing and combining those right? That you're saying, we can form a community around supporting people, right? And that is part of what makes us a community is how we care for others. Just yesterday, um, we had a a board retreat, because what better to do eight days before Rosh Hashanah? Um, We had a board retreat, right, Rabbi Schatz? And uh, (laughs) Rabbi Schatz is still at the board retreat. Um, and somebody said that what got them really connected into the Temple Betham community was they were brand new and they had a baby and people just responded by providing meals, even though they basically knew nobody. And that is what hooked them. And they're still some of like one of our most involved families, right? That that's what brought them in. Um, so it, it is a community of support and that also helps folks feel connected. Um, I also, you offered a lot, and but there are hands up and I want to get to them. I'll just say one more piece, which was, I love the invitation into the liturgy that you articulated, right? That that you're saying, here is someone, right? You, you were talking about, you know, not, you, you offered your own example of not every, not every single word of hollow is necessarily joyful. Maybe see yourself in that in some kind of way, to which I'll add, right? This guy's a regular shul goer. Right. And that can work for some, whereas saying to some people, look at the prayer book, they might say, man, I don't even know what's in here. Right. But that is, of course, one of the wonderful invitations of our tradition is that when you're well versed in it, you can see yourself in it. Um, And and I I love I love that invitation. I love that. Michael, you've had your hand up. Well, I just was going to to uh, chime in on what Rabbi Dorf said about uh, communal action and communal looking at the issue, because I believe that uh, uh, possibly the best way to approach this is to talk, since this person is an active showgoer or had been, to uh, approach other people who are his friends and and discuss it so that you have an idea of, of perhaps have a better understanding of, of, of what's going on 
Uh, there could be other things happening in the family that any one individual wouldn't know about, but uh, but another person might have some inkling about. Uh, these things can be well hidden from people. So any individual, uh, and I go back to what uh, Tybel said about uh, a short walk, you know, that can, um, like you said, Rabbi, that, that can always be helpful. Uh, and uh, that that's very forthcoming. That's a, a concrete action that uh, anybody can take. But I think that uh, uh, a lot of times uh, these things deserve a communal response and communal understanding of what's going on without a bunch of individual people um, trying to get to the bottom of it and putting pressure on the person in the process. You know, that, that isn't uh, when somebody might not know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that. I think, you know, somebody goes to the doctor and says, my leg hurts, right? Well, that could be a bunch of different things, right? It could be a ligament, it could be a bone issue. It could be they slept on it funny, right? That, that there could be any number of things and trying to get a clear picture on what's going on with some is important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bonnie, you had, you had your hand up, but then you, you, you retracted your digital hand, but some of it has been been covered a little, but I also was interested in in dealing with the community, but also the aspect of uh, not believing in God anymore. And that Judaism has that aspect to it also. And I think that maybe pointing that out, that, that Judaism as a, as a life choice and, and life aspiring uh, kind of community can bring a lot of comfort and uh, to a person even without that belief. And if you think that you must have that in order to be part of the community, um, that can be painful. And we need to make sure that they understand that they can be part of the community without that. I want to hear Rabbi Dorf's response to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, well, actually, actually, I'm teaching a rabbinical school seminar this semester on the problem of evil. Um, and the, and as you might imagine, it manifests itself in all kinds of ways beyond this. Um, and, you know, and let me just say that the philosophical pieces of this need to be understood to be, are separate from the pastoral pieces of this. Um, usually when, you know, people say, I, if there's, there's not something traumatic in the person's life that's going on, um, and we're just having a conversation in the ivory tower, as it were, as to what do you mean by God and what do you mean by, you know, God's interactions with us? That's one thing, right? But if you're talking in the midst of an emotional trauma or for that matter, an emotional high, a wedding, right? That's not usually a time in which either one of those is not usually a time in which you want to have a serious intellectual conversation about what God means, right? Um, and it's a um, uh, the only uh, I ask Matt to include this in in the scenario because um, often it gets uh, when people talk to rabbis at least it gets expressed this way um, you know how could not only am I really depressed about not being able to be with others in a community in any kind of, in any meaningful way. Um, and, you know, let alone my job issues and my family issues and all of that. Um, but this is just rotten. And if there were a good God in the world, this would never happen. Right. I mean, that usually comes along. It's not the first thing that 
that people say, but it usually comes along with this. Um, and, um, and let me just say that often it is a function of, um, not having really thought very philosophically about God beforehand. Um, and as a result, it gets, it, it makes things worse. Um, my, my, uh, my wife has a cousin who's, um, whose wife died of cancer. And, um, and he said to me, that's it. I don't believe in God anymore. So I asked him, what God did you believe in before? Right. And then we had, this is months after the death, right. And, um, we had this conversation about, you know, the fact that if you believe God as, as a sugar daddy, as it were, right, then all kinds of things in life are not going to go right. Um, so what is the, na- the nature of the belief in God that the Jewish tradition asserts? Um, and then we went off on a long thing. We can take a seminar and if you like, <laughs> okay. Um, but the, uh, my only point here is that that when this comes along with an expression about, I no longer believe in God, um, I really, whenever I have these conversations with people who are in distress, who just lost a family member or something like that, um, I basically ignore the philosophical pieces because that's not really where the conversation is intended to be. Um, and we talk about you know, the real issues. Um, uh, I'll just give you one example of that. Um, I, I know one family who, um, who had a tragic loss of a child. And this is decades ago, so don't think of anything recent, okay? Um, and, um, as it happens, I mean, I, I knew the family in a whole variety of different ways. They had been my students and all of that. Um, so, um, when I came for Shiva, uh, the woman, um, asked me to go upstairs she needed to ask me a, a philosophical question. So I said, okay. So she had Hasidic relatives. And her Hasidic relatives said, this kind of thing only happened, God only makes this happen for people who can withstand this kind of tragedy. And she said, it's driving her crazy. Do I think that God only does this to people who can withstand it? And I said, no, I don't believe that at all. She said, thank you. Okay, now I can, now I can believe, now I can begin to deal with the emotional issues without having this complicate matters. Right. Um, so let me just say that, you know, I wrote a book about knowing God. I, I actually have thought a lot about it. Um, but it's, um, but when it comes up in these kinds of situations, that's, that's just a cry for help. It's, it's really, it's, it's not a philosophical question in those contexts. I think it is a really important philosophical question in other contexts. Um, but in these kinds of contexts, it's, it, it really is, um, you know, my, my world has been destroyed. How can I believe in anything meaningful? That's, I think, what's really being said. Yeah. Should we go to the second one? Um, well, Denise has her hand up before. I'm sorry. I, yeah. But before we do that, Rabbi Dorf, I can't help. And, and I still have this in my Gmail because I never delete emails um some of us when they were in rabbinical school might have even written uh to vote about whether atheists can lead davening and submitted them to our uh, philosophy professors 
Rabbi Schacht, this is as close as I come to teaching halacha. So um, I hope you're enjoying this moment. But you're teaching <laughs> it based on rabbinical school. So that's okay. It's still not 2021 Rabbi Matsukira. That's That's definitely true. Yeah. Um, and I, I scrolled down to my psak and I don't, I don't know if I would still hold by it. Um, but it is uh, an interesting question because the, the construct of an avowed atheist was taken from another tshuva. And that seems to be highly unusual, right? That, that construct in and of itself. Henry had put in the chat that another community member of ours, uh, Rabbi Berenbaum, points out that all Jews believe that there is at most one God, right? right? Which, yeah. which I think also, also fits here um, as well. And, and I think Rabbi Dorf, your point is well taken that it, it's one thing to have a philosophical conversation, which I know both of us certainly enjoy. Um, but in a situation like this, seems to be ju- just just as likely, if not more so, that it's someone who is really just, it, it's one form of saying, I'm feeling lost. I feel like I need some help. I feel like uh, I'm struggling with, with what to really do here. Um, with, with, with sort of the exception that proves the role of that one moment that you had with this this you know, friend in mourning who really right. did need to just hear that philosophical, no, I don't believe that in order to be able to move forward, right? Um, Denise, you've been waiting very patiently as I share old essays from rabbinical school. No, because I want to go to all the other practical things. So it's okay. You were waiting so patiently. I wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah. Just, just um, a story of a friend her dad was very depressed when the mom had to go to assisted living and he didn't want to do anything with them. And he, you know, he's like, how can I do this without your mother? And she said to him, you know, but we still need our dad. Even if you don't want to be there, we still need you. And, and it kind of, it was like a little bit of cold water. Like it, I think it made him feel loved um, and needed. And I think it also, you know, it just sort of reoriented him that that even in the midst of this sadness and difficulty, that there were still other parts of life that could bring him a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that as as a as a an example circles back well to what Rabbi Dorf was saying towards the beginning, right? The idea that, you know, we, we aren't just atomistic individuals floating around that that we need each other right um okay and with that because i think there's there's a connected piece into this next scenario we'll use that as a segue to hop into it is that working mm-hmm. yes. great uh sharon poor sharon Sharon is a 43-year-old attorney and mother of three school-age kids. She's always had a lot of energy, passionate about her work and family. She's continued to go to work and take care of her basic responsibilities around the house, but family members and friends have noticed a shift in her affect and sense of the world. She frequently brings up negative news stories and doesn't seem to take much pleasure in activities she previously enjoyed. She's getting through the day, but the spark that so many of her friends always appreciated about her is noticeably dimmer. She has articulated in passing a sense of feeling sad, but also reflects, I just don't know what I might do about it. What resources might you suggest or offer to our struggling friend, Sharon? Yes, Denise. Um, 
I mean, maybe just kind of probe her a little bit to start of, you know, just asking her kind of what's going on. What do you mean? What do you mean? You don't know what you might do about it. What are the options? Like, you know, cause it's kind of scary to hear that kind of statement from somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, I think what I, I would want to find out more of where she's at. Yeah. Always a good place to start. Absolutely. Just learning more. Yeah, Joanna. You don't mention whether or not she has a partner. Um, And as a woman who's divorced, I can relate very much to this story because when you don't have a partner and, you you know, uh, my children are now, you know, launched and young adults. But, you know, back in the day when I was living this and you don't have a partner and you're subsumed with taking care of kids and you don't have someone to deflect to or to share with, it can be a struggle at times. And I think one of the really important things is to find me time. And it doesn't have to be like something so spectacular. But what are 10, 15, 20 minutes where you are doing something purely that brings you some sense of satisfaction or pleasure and is all about you? And one of the greatest gifts that a friend of mine gave me was if finding that meantime for yourself means you need someone with your kids, I'm your person. Tell me and I will come. And sometimes it was even like I would go sit in my backyard, but my kids were not at the age where they could be alone in the in the house by themselves and me in the backyard. So, you know, it doesn't have to be these monumental things. But just that, you know, when you're feeling frustrated or down or that, you know, your energy is going to everyone else, that you find time to center yourself and find that neat time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would say that for everybody, <laughs> right? I think that's, I think that's important for, for everyone. Um, just, just, just last night, all three of my kids were up until 1030. Yes, including the three year old, um, which made it very difficult to claim the time that I'm usually able to grab at the end of the night just to breathe a little bit. And I'm feeling it this morning, you know, and I, and I am I am I am I have my Sharony moments, but I, I am I am not currently Sharon, um, but particularly with kids and just for any person, I think claiming that time to center yourself, whether it's to do something you love doing or just to connect in whatever form that is for you, prayer, meditation, taking a few deep breaths, going for a walk, connecting with a friend, right? Any of those things. Um, it's just, it's necessary. We all, we all need it. Um, and, and getting those reminders when we're struggling is really important for sure. Um, I'll read out, um, I'll read out, uh, Tybal said scheduled time, um, each day to sing together and schedule time each day to tell jokes. Um, music and humor are two things that I also uh, certainly, certainly resonate with. Um, Michael um, wrote um, her statement at the end is quite worrying and suggests suicidal ideation. He's wondering about professional ideation. Um, I, I will, I will be, Fully transparent, uh, 
the I I I had that in there to reflect sort of as Karen was indicating earlier, more of a desire, like a willingness to change. Um, whereas Michael is interpreting it as a real cause for concern. Um, but depending on what you think about 20th century literary theory and whether the death of the author is a thing or not, uh, Michael's comment might uh, might be poignant as well. Um, but yeah, obviously, if you think someone is articulating that from a place of self-harm, um, that is, of course, cause for serious alarm. You need to take that seriously, always. Yes, Rabbi, Rabbi Schatz. Huh. Um, I think one, one thing that, and I'm sorry if someone brought this up and I just was not, I'm, I'm very much so multitasking. So, um, that I, I don't see anything in here about the friend saying like, what can I take off your plate? Um, I think that very often when we're surrounded by people who notice these things, I'll speak for myself that when I have really tough weeks or overwhelming weeks or stressful weeks that, I'm always so impressed and and touched really by the fact that the people around me will say things like, what can I do to alleviate some of this stress? Or what can I do so that you can go and get, I don't know, a manicure, right? Like what, what can I do so that you can take some time? It seems like you don't have time to, I just saw my nails and that's why I thought of that example. Um, I don't think that you have the kind of time to take care of yourself. So for you to just kind of, put some things down. How can I alleviate some of that for you? And then the other thing, which many of you know that I do, and, um, and I would suggest it to anybody. Uh, my grandparents happen to have a really beautiful beach house in Laguna. And so I'm lucky in the way that this is a place that I can easily access. But if there is a place that just makes you calm, no matter if you're working from there or bringing all of these kids that you have to take care of or whatever, just knowing that there is a place in the world or a thing that you do in the world that brings you that, that serene, um, less stressed nature, uh, sometimes just going there and being able to continue on with your regular activities at least allows your mental health to kind of take, um, take a breather, as it were. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, I, I'm mindful of the fact that I'm talking a lot. I'm trying to yield to Rabbi Dorf a bit since he's, he, he knows this all uh, quite well. The, pe- the piece that came to mind for me, Rabbi Schatz, as you said, that was also, we haven't yet talked much about getting out into nature, which for some yeah. people can also be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I do not have access to the same kind of beach house, but I do find that if I haven't been to the beach for a while, just getting out, I do not swim in the ocean. Uh, sometimes I hear about friends who surf and I wonder about, what surfing might be and then it looks cold and I don't do it. Um, but it uh, I, uh, I do. Oh, maybe. Rabbi Aaron Lerner learned to surf relatively recently. He, if he can do it, maybe he's, he's much more athletic. Hi, Rabbi Aaron Lerner. <laughs> much more athletic than I am. Um, but, but I do just enjoy being by the water. I find it to be centering. Yeah. Yeah. I find that to be like mm. remarkably, um, just just help helps me get a sense of perspective. Well, and if I can just add a, a Rabbi Klingfeldism um, okay. to this piece, um, this it doesn't have as much to do with this particular scenario, but more so like how we fill up our buckets when we need to. Um, Rabbi Klingfeld has this really, and he could drosh on this much better than I'm going to explain it to you briefly, but this beautiful custom 
that works for him, and I'm sure would also work for Rabbi Dorf, knowing his love of ice cream, that at the end of a funeral, he will find time in his day before the day is over to get frozen yogurt. Um, and it's not to like bring him out of something sad or decide that that wasn't meaningful and now he needs a break to go back to work. It's actually exactly the opposite, which is Rabbi Klingfeld finds himself as many of you have experienced, so kind of enthralled with taking care of the family around a life cycle like that, that he needs something to then bring back a little bit of his own just status quo, right? To bring to bring him back into the life that now he needs to continue on, whether it's in meetings or meeting with a couple who's now planning a wedding, right? To, to kind of create that equilibrium again and has, as he explains it to go from the tame to the tahor um, to, to refill his bucket with something that's going to give him a little bit of that joy back and so again I think that fi- figuring out what your thing is whether it's mint chip ice cream or going to the ocean uh, figuring out how you bring that back into your life in these moments and surround yourself with the people who will encourage you to do that. I must say that walking along the ocean is much healthier for you than the mint of ice cream. That's true, but don't tell your son-in-law, but that is true. (laughs) Um, And you may not have time for the walk along the ocean, right? So, I mean, um, the one thing that, that, um, that I would say here is that, um, I guess it was Denise who mentioned first that um, helping to uh, helping with the kids would be a really important thing. Um, but any kind of communal interaction, I think, would be really important. Um, it's a again, the, the the American piece of us is highly individualistic, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, though we're endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have liberty. We have individual rights, right? And one of the real problems America is having right now with vaccine distribution is all of these people saying, you know, I've got the liberty. Don't, don't, don't tell me what to do with my body. I should have the liberty to do what I, what I want. Forgetting about the fact that not being vaccinated is really bad for you, let alone for your family and the rest of the community. And you really have a duty to try to protect the rest of the community. Um, and by the way, there is no Jewish excuse not to be vaccinated. There may be a medical excuse. If you have an organ transplant or you've gone undergone cancer therapy and you're immunosuppressed, medical excuse, definitely, but not the Jewish tradition will not provide you with an excuse not to be vaccinated. Um, and the in the same sort of a way on this issue, um, you know, it seems to me that that part of, of getting people out of depression and it's only part of it, but it's an important part of it, which is the Jewish piece of our identity is very communitarian. And we as American Jews balance the individualism of our American identity with the communitarianism of our Jewish identity. And here, I think some of the the Jewish piece of this can be really helpful, whether it is something very concrete, like I'll take your kids for the afternoon, and that's really important, or whether it is I will pay for a babysitter and I'll take you out to a movie right? Whatever it is that is going to sort of restore the sense that that uh, Sharon is not alone in the world um, and that people really care about her. I think that will be very helpful. Yeah, I'll, I'll tie that also to something that was discussed earlier in terms of a sense of, 
of God or something bigger than oneself, right? Um, oftentimes when folks start going, folks start going to AA meetings or 12-step meetings, they have a really tough time getting in touch with, with a God concept. And sometimes people will sort of acronize God, acronymize God into good orderly direction, right? Mm-hmm. Like forget, forget about a higher power, right? You just, like the supernatural power, you you just have to believe that there are people around you who are going to help point you in the direction that you need to go, right? And that 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 communal ethos, which is also present, very much present in, in the twelve step community, is really essential for people making making a shift. Um, which which I don't know, just it came to mind as as tying back to the God piece that we were talking about um, a few minutes ago. Um, yeah, table. Um, I was just thinking about both times um, when Rabbi Dorf, and I've lost track of how many times I've suggested his YouTubes to people in the pandemic um, on being vaccinated anyway, about there's a set of people that don't sound like either Judah or Sharon, the way you positioned it, which are people who know what they should be doing. They have the cognitive knowledge and awareness, but what used to be called the affective side or whatever you want to say, they are having trouble motivating themselves to do what they already know they should do. So it's not the knowledge, it's the spiraling down, unable to act. And that's what occurred to me is that's, and I was focused more on not the relief part or particular task oriented, but the idea of, um, mental health, and I'm going to use the word hygiene as a structure and series of habits that then as Jews, and I think maybe that's why so so many of my suggestions were the friend should say, you know, at this time of the day, we're going to tell each other jokes. At this time of the day, we're going to sing. We're going to walk if it's only 10 minutes, that it's somehow a friend being able to step in to help when the person is spiral has spiraled down and knows what they can do, but can't take that step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that table. Thanks for that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the time it's 10 53, um, which I don't, I don't know that we have time to do scenario three justice. Um, so with a, at least a begrudging thumbs up from my teacher um i'm gonna offer a reflection and then i'm gonna throw a curveball at the last minute rabbi dorf are you okay with a, a last minute curveball yeah. great um so what rabbi Schatz was hinting at before I've, I've mentioned in passing um in these sessions which is that we've, we've been trying to pull together this temple Bethlehem center for spiritual growth um incorporating a few different pieces that we're already offering and um uh, we recently ran our first uh, round of a spiritual support group, which I think was pretty successful. Um, so if you're interested in that, if you have ideas for that, uh, please reach out and let me know. I'm excited about it. I think it's bringing together pieces that our community actually already does really beautifully. Um, and I'm interested to see how we might augment and grow that from here. Um, two different pieces of that, by the way, are our uh, Hamalot service, which will be popping back up uh, both on Rabbi Shatz, you tell me if I'm right on this, uh, early second day Rosh Hashanah morning and Yom Kippur afternoon. Did I get that right? 
Yes, yeah, so Rosh Hashanah day two for Psuke de Zimra. That will be the Psuke de Zimra for both clergy-led services and then Yom Kippur Mincha. Um, there will be a traditional service that will be led by uh, Library Minion, but for everybody. And then Hamala will be the other option for Mincha that day. So you can you can sort of seek some version of uh, this there. Um, and also the high holiday lounges that have sort of uh, wound up in my portfolio that I have finagled around to be sort of in line with these kinds of conversations that are happening uh, at 12 o'clock, both days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you want to come check those out um, and other offerings throughout the year. So keep an eye out for more on those. That was my programmatic pitch. And now the curveball uh, to both of the other rabbis on this call first, but then if other folks want to chime in, uh, they are welcome to. Rabbi Dorf and Rabbi Schatz and everybody else, what what is something that keeps you mentally and spiritually healthy, balanced, getting where you need to go, right? I mean, I've, I've been hoping that we can also like see ourselves in the case studies um, of the folks that that we have been fictionally talking about. But this is, of course, a deeply personal thing, right? Everyone's <laughs> mental and spiritual health looks a little bit different. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear from the others on the call, but if either or both of my, uh, fellow rabbis would be up for, for sharing even just a little like tidbit that's helpful. I'd, I'd be curious to hear, uh, what that might be. Give me a chance. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, well, I mean, um, my wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2006 and, it got much worse in 2012, and um, it is really, well, it is sad uh, to, to watch the diminishing, you know, of her abilities to walk. She can't walk, um, and it's, you know, and, and, you know, I'm I'm her caregiver certain parts of the week. We are fortunate enough uh, to have gotten long-term health care insurance a long time ago, and so there are other people, like right now, who are taking care of it with that. And it's, um, and I must say that my motto has been um, aligned from Psalm 68, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. You have to bless God for each and every day um, and get as much joy and comfort uh, and meaning out of every day as you can. Knowing that the kinds of things that we were able to do not so long ago, we can't do anymore. Um, and that would means that what you need to do is sort of, you know, revamp the program, right? You have to, to to try to figure out what is it that you can do that is going to be both joyful and meaningful, and um, and and deal with the hard parts as you know as best as you can. That does mean some screaming to God. I'll, I'll just say it straight out on my part when I'm not with her. I don't want her to hear that, right? Um, it does mean. Um, um, it does mean that I need to fill my bucket, to use Rabbi Shass's uh, metaphor there. Um, and that happens with, well, I love teaching. That's why I haven't retired. And that happens with, with in teaching. It happens anytime I'm with any of my children or grandchildren. Um, you know, it's, um, it's a largely communal issues, frankly, that, that really restore me and give me energy to face the, the difficult issues. Um, and it's um, so, I mean, that's the <clears throat> that's what restores me. 
Um, I love singing also. So any singing session I can be part of. And by the way, that's the thing that I missed most during COVID because you can't sing on Zoom. <clears throat> I mean, you can sing, but you can't sing together, right? <clears throat> so that's why as soon as I was able to get back to being in person in some way, I'm there. Um, and it's a, so I mean, those are the things that, that restore me. Um, I, I think for me, it's mostly people. Um, I am someone who really enjoys my own time and really enjoys being alone at times. Um, but I, I, I think, I mean, to use the last thing that Rabbi Dorf said in terms of singing, I, a lot of my Rosh Hashanah sermon talks to this, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to give specifics in the moment, but, and, and you should come and hear my sermon. <laughs> um, but, um, but the, the idea that we couldn't be together as clergy, um, in services was really hard and felt very isolating. And the first Shabbat, which was the first week of January, that we could be back together in the sanctuary singing. I remember looking at Rabbi Klingfeld and just being extremely emotional. Um, and we had seen each other multiple times a day <laughs> and spoken to each other multiple times a day for all of these months. But to hear his voice and quite literally to be to, to feel his warmth, right? To like to know that there was another person standing right next to me um, going through something that had been so isolating for the past however many months at that point it had been um, was just in it brought a whole new sense of of life and um, and energy to me. I think for me, it's also my family. Um, I'm very close with my family and being able to just be myself um, in a group of people who accept me for any mood that I'm in is extremely important. And then as Rabbi Shapiro will know, really just talking things out. Um, Rabbi Shapiro was dealing with his children up very late last night, which meant that not only did he not get to process things, but I also didn't get to process things um, that I wanted to process last night. And and I'm saying that jokingly, but uh, there are people in my life for whom I need to call and just kind of get it all out. And and that's part of my um, my sanity. And in turn, to go back to what I said earlier, um, those are the same people who then, if I need the support to let things go. They're the ones who are able to do that for me. Um, so that's how I deal with it. And I just want to say, cause I have the mic uh, at the moment, it is, it is touching and it is just such a, such a blessing to be able to hear your teachers who you look up to be vulnerable. And so I always appreciate when Rabbi Dorf um, shares things about his life that we all witness being hard uh, for him, but it's just, it's an, it's an extra sense of vulnerability that I know is not easy and, and your students really appreciate it. So I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I appreciate both of those responses. Thank you for, for rolling with the curve ball. Um, and since, it, since it's not fair to ask of others anything you wouldn't do yourself, I'll, I'll share briefly and, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I resonate with a lot of what's been said, um, the role of relationship, um, the role of, of music. I, I Services are great. I also really miss concerts. Um, I'm, I'm going back to one soon. It's outdoors. People be masked and whatever, but I'm very excited about that. Um, 
I'll add, I'll add two, maybe three pieces. One of which is um, if there are professionals who can support you in what you need, that's important too. Um, I have gone to therapists. I've gone to psychiatrists. Um, I'm not shy about that. Um, if, if there is someone from whom you need help in that way, you should seek that out. Um, that, that is something that can be really, really helpful. It's been really helpful for me. So I think, uh, that's important to throw in the mix as well. And I don't think that's something that we should be shy about asking for when we need it or saying mm. if it's been helpful. Um, I'll also throw out uh, a sense of gratitude is really, really important. It's not something that, that comes naturally to me. Um, I think there's a reason we are offered up that we should say modani first thing in the morning, because for me, the first thing I usually think in the morning is, oh my God, why are my kids up so early? Um, and not thank you, God, for this beautiful day with my wonderful children. We're up till 1030 last night. Um, and so being reminded to say, hey, thank you for whatever there is to be thankful for that morning. And there is always at least one thing, um, if nothing else, the ability to start a new day, right? And usually lots more too. Um, that's really important to me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I could go on, but, but we're at time, but I wanted to make sure to name those, those pieces as well. Um, and also no small thing to be a part of a community of, of teachers and colleagues and friends who are willing to share so openly and vulnerably. I think per Rabbi Dorf's, you know, um, reminder of this point that, that we are, a people who place ultimate value on the role of community. And I think we've seen here that when we each speak vulnerably and openly, I think there's a real power in that and we can support each other and connect with each other when we do that. Um, so I'll, I'll just end by saying, thank you. I'll, I'll offer up gratitude there. Thank you to Rabbi Schatz for uh, pulling, pulling this whole series together as you do so brilliantly. Um, and really thank you to Rabbi Dorf for saying yes to this. Um, was really, really fun. It's, it's an honor to teach with a teacher of mine. So thank you for saying yes to this. Likewise, the other way. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.